And just to avoid any confusion, I am not Rebecca Cornu. <laughs> Today's scripture reading is taken from Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Thank you, John. This morning's message is part three in our four-part Advent series on this passage. So we've been looking at this passage for the past couple weeks, and we're going phrase by phrase through this text, which gives us, as we just heard read, the story of Jesus Christ in six verses. It begins with his preexistence, his equality with God, moves to his becoming man, moves then to his death on the cross, his resurrection and exaltation as Lord. So it's all there in summary, the story of Jesus. And the reason why the Apostle Paul put this beautiful and concise summary of the story of Jesus here in this letter is given to us in verse 5. If you look at that again, it says... Adopt this same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. So the story of Jesus in verses 6 through 11 shows us what it looks like practically. What does it look like in a life to have the attitude of Jesus Christ? His life is the illustration of his attitude. We've been defining attitude as a settled way of thinking and feeling about life or about a situation in life that is reflected inevitably in our actions. That's an attitude. So just to flesh that out a little bit, if your attitude is kind of grumpy, you have a grumpy attitude, if you are like sour a bit, then your thoughts tend to go like this. Life is not going well for me. This is the story that's playing out. Things will not turn out good for me. So even good things, when you encounter them, like Christmas cheers, you know, out there, there's Christmas happening, you just respond like maybe a Scrooge or a Grinch. You you see somebody at a store ringing a bell, asking for a donation, and you think, there they go again, asking for money. It didn't make a difference last year when I gave my 50 cents. They probably just steal the money out of the bucket anyway and go to in and out after this. That's a sour and grumpy attitude. I don't know if you've had an attitude like that, where this is the story you're telling in your mind and this is the way you're encountering life situations. It could be the opposite. You could have a positive attitude, a joyful attitude, and you say, this is the story in my mind. Life is good. Things are happening that are good for me, and I welcome that. 
And bad, the bad things are like the, the minor inconveniences. They kind of roll off your back, you know, like uh, water off a duck's back, so to speak. And you say, it's okay. You see someone asking for a donation at the store, ringing the bell, and you're like, yay, they're here again. Isn't that great? And you pull out your 50 bucks and you drop it in to the bucket. And you just say, someone else needs this more than I do. Have you ever had an attitude like that? Hopefully, you've had an attitude like that sometime. Uh, so that's how attitude plays out. And the point is, the story that you're telling yourself and your thoughts about your life and about how life is playing out before you, that affects your thinking, your responses, your feelings to the different situations that come your way. The very same circumstance, and you can have totally different thoughts, totally different feelings, a totally different response to that circumstance depending on your attitude. And this is especially important when it comes to suffering and our attitude towards suffering. If you look at verses 6 through 8, they tell us Jesus did not avoid suffering. He did not run from it or do all that he could to lessen it from coming into his life. In fact, the story as it is told is just the opposite. He chose to enter it. He chose to run into it, knowing it would be there, not taking the easy path, but in fact taking the hardest path, knowing that it would hurt. How does this part of Jesus' story is suffering. How does that play out in our stories and in our suffering? How are we to have this same attitude of Jesus towards suffering? It's a challenging thing to think about. Very challenging because the story and the attitudes about suffering that we have in our own hearts and the prevailing stories and attitudes about suffering in our culture They tend to go something like this. You can minimize and avoid a lot of suffering in life if you work hard enough, if you have success and money. We want to move towards success, money, so we can avoid suffering. We work hard to minimize it. Or sometimes the story goes and the attitude is, avoid anything harmful or too hard or ask too much of me That is not good for me. Run away from that stuff. Go in the opposite direction. Or maybe life is about doing all I can to maximize my comfort and pleasure and minimize my suffering and discomfort. And there could be even a Christian version of this that says, live obediently. If you do, God will bless your life and he will minimize your suffering. He'll move you, as we said last week, up and to the right, to greater comfort, greater success, and less suffering. Last week, I wasn't able to share my graphic depictions of this with you, and I'm so excited to present those to you today. And here they are. Um, (laughs) You're laughing because how good this is, right? It's the opposite, I know. It's like that? No, we waited for that. So this is the graph, up and to the right. This is from last week. We were talking about Jesus' attitude toward being a servant. 
Aren't we supposed to move towards status and position and success? This is how life should go, up and to the right. And in contrast to that, the story that is told in Philippians 6 through 11 goes like this graphic. We can go to the next slide. The J-curve, right? Down into humiliation, descending into service before there is exaltation. And for this week, we can move to the updated graphic, up and to the right, comfort, ease, success. By and large, this is the prevailing attitude and story we're told. If you do these things, your suffering will be minimized. You won't have to deal with it as much. And here's how you can avoid it, up and to the right. Whereas this story, the story of Jesus Christ and his attitude towards suffering, is more like this. Emptying, humbling, suffering, down, before there's exaltation and glory. Well, you can think about those pictures as we move through this. Before we talk about our own attitude towards suffering, first let's look closely together at how this passage describes Jesus' attitude towards suffering. So I want to read this again, and I would ask you to listen for the attitude that is playing out in Jesus' story towards suffering. It says, adopt the same attitude, you can read along again, as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. The words suffer and suffering don't appear in this passage, but it is It is all about suffering. Every step that Jesus took from verse 6 onward, his existing in the form of God, his equality with God, into verse 8, his death on a cross, was a step into further humility, was a step into further suffering. Let's just think about it. First, Jesus suffered the indignity of the almighty God, the all-glorious God, becoming just a regular human being. The phrase, the likeness of humanity, he came as a man together, those phrases are just saying Jesus was truly human. And if you met him and saw him, you would say he is absolutely a human being, like us in every way, yet not sinful and fallen like us. You would say, when you saw this Jesus, you would say, this is just a basic guy. If you saw him in the road of Nazareth or in Jerusalem or wherever you might encounter him. This is just a human. It meant that people, were, if they passed by Jesus and they didn't really know who he was, they would just say, what's up? To almighty God, all glorious God who deserves all praise and honor. That's a great indignity to suffer as a holy sovereign God. He also suffered the great wrong of not receiving his full glory, honor, and obedience that he deserves. He emptied himself, it says, of his right to all of this. His right, think about this, his right to be known for who he truly is. And that that hurts us, right? If somebody, we are sharing ourselves with somebody, we're revealing ourselves to somebody, this is who I am, and, and people, they don't know us for who we are. They don't understand us for who we truly are. 
that hurts. Especially if we feel like we are not being treated rightly as we deserve. All the more for God. He suffered the rejection and the misunderstanding that came from living a perfectly obedient life. As verse 8 tells us he did. Jesus always did the right thing. And yet everywhere he was rejected for it. He was mocked many times throughout his ministry. He was accused of being wrong. No, Jesus, you are wrong. No, almighty God, you're wrong about that. This is what the law says. And Jesus never said, I I wrote that law. I know what it says. I'm telling you. He was accused of being sinful. Why are you eating with sinners? You're spreading sin. He was accused of having a demon. He was accused of being in partnership with Satan. Now, that hurts in a unique way. When you're doing right for somebody else, I'm doing this for you. I'm serving you. I'm doing what's right and obedient. And people take that and throw it back in your face and say, you're evil. You're sinful. You are wrong. How does that feel? How far will his suffering go? It tells us he was obedient even to the point of death. Death and dying is the suffering we all fear, the end of our our physical lives. But not just any dying, it says, even death on a cross. At the time, the kind of death that was designed by the Romans to maximize suffering. The Greco-Roman author Cicero, he said this about crucifixion. To bind a Roman citizen is a crime. To flog him is an abomination. To slay him is almost an act of murder. To crucify him is what? There is no fitting word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed. For the Jewish people, death on a tree meant an accursed death. It was a sign that you and your life was the lowest, not worthy, rejected, and worthless. So Jesus, starting in verse 6, existing in equality with God, stepped into suffering, physical pain, execution, murder, injustice, being killed though he was innocent, and the deepest suffering of all, the utter forsakenness, the judgment of the cross, taking the full weight of our sin, of our guilt and our shame upon himself. So much so that in 2 Corinthians 5, it says he became sin. He was so identified with sin and everything that is opposed to God. And he was treated in that way. And that suffering, I don't even know how to describe into words what that meant for Jesus to experience that kind of suffering. Utter forsakenness. If we just take all that described here in this text, I think it's fair to say, if this is true, if this is the true story of Jesus Christ, that we could say there is no other person or being, anyone who could suffer more than he did. So what is his attitude towards all this suffering? What does the story of Jesus' suffering reveal about his attitude? And if we were just to, again, look at these verses to describe his attitude, we could say 
something like this. He deliberately, he intentionally chose suffering. One of the clearest things that comes across in this passage is that Jesus' suffering, it didn't just happen to him, but that Jesus chose to enter into it. When he could have avoided it, it says he emptied himself. No one emptied him. He humbled himself. No one humbled him. Jesus chose to enter into suffering, not to avoid it, not to get around it, not to lessen it. If I can sneak a Tom Petty reference in right here. There's a song by Tom Petty. It says, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell and I won't back down. That came to my mind, at least, as an expression of Jesus' attitude. I'm not backing down. I am moving into it, into the worst, willfully, intentionally, and deliberately with a steadfast attitude. In the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus was moving towards Jerusalem, it says, he set his face like flint to Jerusalem. He was resolute. He was focused, moving towards suffering. Why? Why would he do this? Why choose to move into suffering and not run away from it? He did not gain anything for himself to his own advantage that he didn't already have because of this suffering. He had the glory and the joy and the honor of existing with God, as God, equal with God already. So why and how? What is behind this attitude? And if we could just put one word to it, it would be the word love. Sometimes that word is sentimentalized and it's very fuzzy in its definition. But here in this story, we have love in action. We have the attitude of love moving into suffering for the sake of love. Let me unpack that. Here's the attitude we see. Love won't let us suffer alone. Jesus chose to enter into and experience our suffering with us. And there's so, there's so much power and comfort in these words in this passage. Jesus taking on the likeness of humanity and when he'd come as a man, Jesus fully human, it means God knows. Fully God, fully man, it means God knows our suffering. He has entered into our human experience, all of it, which includes our experience of suffering. He has suffered with us. This was the attitude of Jesus. He looked on our suffering and said, I want them to know. This is their resource for suffering. It's not some just impersonal plan. There is a reason for this. There's some impersonal reason out there for this suffering. No, there is a personal God who has experienced suffering as one of us. He is not immune to suffering. He is not distant to suffering. We read this earlier in our service, in our time of confession. Hebrews 2.10 says, Jesus, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. A pioneer, what is that? It's somebody who goes ahead and blazes the path and moves ahead before you so that the people following him can trust. Okay, this is the right way. 
I can keep on going. Jesus is our pioneer saying, I've been there and I can lead you through. When we pass through suffering, and many of you might be there right now in the middle of suffering, what do we want most? We might say, I want a reason for this. If you get the foolproof reason, will that, will that really satisfy what you're looking for? We want an end to it, of course. We want it to end. But what we really want is someone who has been there to walk with us through it. And this was Jesus' attitude toward us. I'll be the pioneer so that they will know they're not suffering alone. Love also, go to the next bullet, will bear suffering in our place. It is according to the scriptures, the disobedient, the proud, the self-serving who deserve to bear shame and judgment and forsakenness and curse. All the things that were represented by death on a cross. But the gospel is that the obedient, humble servant bore all of this in our place for us. He bore the worst suffering for us and in our place. So that we would never have to. This is the attitude of God towards us. Do you believe this? That in our sin and suffering and selfishness, God is saying, I would do anything to bear the worst for them so they don't have to. I will run into suffering for them. Is that how you think of God? This is love. This is here in the story told in 6 through 11, the story of Jesus Christ. We could say this is a love story. If love is a determined and steadfast commitment to another person's greatest and highest good, then love, it always involves substitutionary atonement. Love says, I will be emptied so you can be filled. I will be humbled so you can be lifted up. I will die so you can live. So that you can move towards what is best for you. I love you so much. I am so committed to that. That if it means that I will be empty, that I will bear the cost for you in your place, I'll do it. There is no real love without real suffering, is there? Without cost, without emptying, without humbling, without dying. The loving parent of the newborn, there are newborns in our church, they say to the newborn, I'll be awake, I'll be tired, so you can be fed, so you can sleep. The loving parent of a small child says, I will cook, I will wash, I will expend my energy, collapsing every night on the sofa, in exhaustion, right? So you can grow, so you can be healthy. I'll be emptied, so you can be filled of life. The loving friend who says, oh, I've got all this going on. I've got these things happening in my schedule and all this. I've got things that need to be done, but my friend needs me right now. I'll drop it all. I'll lose time. I'll have to maybe lose sleep in this, but they will be comforted. They will be supported. That's the attitude of love. We'll bear suffering in the place of the beloved. Lastly, love won't be defeated. Why was... Jesus' attitude toward us like this? Why was his attitude toward suffering like this? Because he wanted us to know this. Love won't be defeated. He's showing us the whole story about our suffering. If we look at verses 9 through 11, 
we see, if you look at that, the results of Jesus' suffering. His life, his attitude, and his actions are not cursed. They are not shameful. They are not humiliating in the end. It says, God exalted the one who went to the lowest place, the one who suffered the most on behalf of others. This one was not cursed. This one in his life was not judged worthless. In fact, it is the utter opposite. God vindicates his suffering love as the greatest and the most glorious thing in the world. Nothing is more honorable and powerful and beautiful and worthy of worship than the one who would give it all up, than the one who would suffer for others. This is not the lowest one. This is the highest one. And every single person will bow down and recognize this. He is Lord. The cross, the symbol of death and rejection and defeat, is now the symbol of life, love and victory. Suffering then does not get the last word. Jesus entered into suffering, bearing our suffering, knowing suffering would not be the end. It is not the last word. It is not the whole story. The story ends in resurrection. Jesus, trusting the Father, had this attitude, I will go to the lowest hell for us. I trust I won't be left there. I will be exalted and I won't be alone because I am bringing with me all who trust in me as Lord. Friends, our suffering can hurt so much. It can immobilize us, I know. We can feel stuck in it. It can feel so very dark. Like, there is no end. Like, how could this possibly end? But suffering will not get the last word. It is not the end. And the attitude of Jesus moving into suffering was this, that in and out of the worst things, God can bring the best things. This is the story of Jesus, and this is the story of all who trust in him. So this is Jesus' attitude towards suffering, is the attitude of love. What about our attitude towards suffering? What does it mean for us? Well, when we compare this to how we describe the narrative and the story and the attitude of suffering that many of us have, that many people around us have, this is a whole new attitude towards suffering. There are three things I want to point out. Number one, this is, this is going to be hard and challenging, but the first part of this is to receive the gift of suffering. These are fill in the blanks in your outline if you'd like to fill those in. The flow of thought that begins this chapter begins in chapter 1. Paul's talking about his own suffering. He's writing this letter from prison. He suffered a lot in that experience. And then he moves to talk about the Philippians' suffering. Some persecution for their faith in Jesus. And in chapter 1, 29, he says, For it has been granted, it's been given to you, that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And we just read that passage and go, what is that? What is he saying? It has been granted to us, it's been gifted to us to believe, to have faith in Jesus and all that that means. And also to suffer. 
Right there with my faith in Jesus is my suffering. Now the gift is not the suffering in itself, the hurt and the grief and the pain of our suffering. The story of Jesus shows us the gifts that we can receive in and through our suffering. One is that suffering humbles us. Unlike Jesus who humbled himself, we in our pride and our self-sufficiency and self-focus, we do not choose to humble ourselves out of our own willful choice. So to become humble, we must be humble. And God uses suffering to do this. Suffering also softens us. Though Jesus' heart was soft toward us in our brokenness, even in our own deserving, the suffering we, we deserve for our own bad choices, we become hard towards others in those same situations. So suffering softens us. It is a gift we receive through suffering. In the same way, suffering equips us to comfort others. If we have walked with Jesus, our pioneer on the road of suffering, lamenting and crying out to him, we are equipped to comfort and walk with others in their suffering as well. Friends, suffering is worse for us when we try to reject it and the gifts that come with suffering, when we try to ignore it, when we try to suppress it, when we try to deny it and pretend that it's not happening. And this is the source of many of our distractions and compulsions and addictions and ongoing relational breakdowns is the fact that we refuse to receive the gift that suffering can bring us. Our prayers end up being focused on things like, God, please end this ASAP. It's a legitimate prayer, but it's not the only one. God, as soon as possible, take me up and to the right again. It's a good prayer. It's a, it's a valid prayer. It's not the only one. And sometimes we are doing more complaining than lamenting. In the next chapter, um, chapter 3 in Philippians, we see Paul's attitude expressed in the way he expressed the goal of his life. He said, my goal is to know Jesus, know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. Here's the point I'm trying to make here. When our goal is to simply avoid suffering and make it go away as quick as possible, it becomes worse for us. Its effects become worse us, but when our goal is to know him and be made like him, that his story would become our story, that we learn to love others as we have been loved by him, suffering is still painful, it's still hard, but it can be a gift. Secondly, second attitude shift, recognize the connection between love and suffering. The point of this passage is not for us to choose to suffer for suffering's sake, to just be the martyr kind of a thing, but to choose it for the sake of love. Jesus did not welcome or choose suffering for suffering's sake. He suffered for us because he loves us. And the point is when we make the choice to love, anytime we make the choice to love another person, we are making the choice to suffer to some degree. The call to love is the central and overarching call to 
All followers of Jesus, the most important thing, the main thing, the thing is love. And we can sentimentalize that. We can soften that. But our attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, to recognize the connection between love and suffering. There's um, an old theologian named B.B. Warfield. I didn't get the quote up on the slide, but if you could listen to what he says about this. Jesus permitted this thought to enter. I will die for men. And so mighty was his love, so colossal the divine purpose to save, that he thought nothing of his divine majesty, nothing of his unsullied blessedness, nothing of his equality with God, but absorbed in us our needs, our misery, our helplessness. He made no account of himself. If this is to be our example, what limit can we set? to our self-sacrifice. This means to choose to be a true friend who loves your friend, friends, to choose to get married, to choose to have children, to choose to be a son or daughter, to be a member of a church family, is to choose to suffer loss, to empty yourself, to choose to humble yourself because that is love. It's hard for us to hear in our modern world when we have defined love as something like, I love is supporting and affirming other people to the extent that they support and affirm me in what I want to do. Supporting and affirming other people and what they want to do to the extent that they support and affirm me in what I want to do. According to the story of Jesus Christ, that is not in fact love because it cancels out cost, emptying, humbling, suffering. Instead of commitment love, that is consumer love. And the story of Jesus Christ can sound crazy to us and what, it, what this story might call us to do, the attitude we might have toward loving other people. It is crazy, but it also is the most beautiful thing the most powerful thing. There is a connection always between love and suffering. And finally, remember, I think I reworded this maybe than what I have in the bulletin. Remember the whole story when suffering comes. You know, if you're using a map to get to point A to point B, if you have your map app in your phone, um, usually the default view when you type it in is very up close, right? You just see like right where you are. Where's the next turn? And, and that's helpful you're like, I need to know where this turn is. Not that one, it's that one. And you're very zoomed in. But sometimes you want to press that button or press those buttons to zoom out to see, okay, what, where, where am I going after that next turn? Show me the whole picture. When we suffer, whether it's a trial we experience or when we're suffering to give ourselves to love another person, Often, that suffering can shrink our world just to right now in this right moment. Say, this is what's happening now, and it's so hard, and it's so difficult, and this is all I can think about, and this is what's happening. This is the cost involved in this relationship that I have. This is all I can see. And it might feel like nothing's going to change. It's going to last forever. 
Maybe the response of the person we're trying to love. It's not changing. They're not changing. Or maybe we're just in a long season of darkness. This attitude of Jesus Christ, the story of Jesus reminds us that the one who gives his or her life in love to others for the sake of Jesus Christ, the big story, the zoom out view is that God vindicates and honors that life. Suffering will not last forever. The story ends in exaltation and resurrection. That is a big attitude adjustment for us. Far more could be said about suffering. But these things, as we see the attitude of Jesus Christ toward us in our suffering, that he ran to us, that he stepped into it, that he chose it with deliberate action out of love. When we remember that is what he has done for us, then more and more we can take this attitude on and it becomes our story. Let's ask the Lord to do that more and more in our hearts. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this text that reminds us of the story. The story that is our only hope and salvation, the story of our Lord Jesus Christ. To know that this is the attitude of God Almighty towards us. That you would run towards us no matter what the cost so that we might be filled, restored, and reconciled to you. We pray that this, this attitude that you have towards us, that we we'd believe it, that it would sink in, that we'd know it's true, that nothing can separate us from your love and that we would be the kind of people more and more that reflect and show and give ourselves away in this kind of love, with this kind of attitude, even when it comes at a cost. We can only do it by your enabling strength and grace and that is what we ask for in Jesus' name, amen.